Good evening and welcome to Empathy Media Lab's Belief Street. My name is Evan Papp and I'll be exploring religious concepts through text and scripture, interviews and profiles, and documentaries and films. So why do I want to explore religious concepts, even though I haven't been a practicing Catholic for over two decades? Well, first, I'm appalled at the hypocrites who have hijacked Jesus's teachings to love our neighbor and treat people the way we want to be treated. And as an outsider looking into the internal politics of the Catholic Church, it appears to me that there is a civil war raging between a progressive Pope Francis and a very dangerous reactionary faction that sides with the hypocrites previously mentioned. Ultimately, the outcome of this battle will determine whether it is fear or love that organizes the Holy See. For this series of Belief Street, I'm reading Fratelli Tutti, which is Pope Francis's encyclical subtitled on fraternity and social friendship. The encyclical calls for more human fraternity and solidarity and is a plea to reject wars. The document was signed on October 3rd, 2020 on the occasion of Pope Francis's visit to the tomb of his namesake, St. Francis of Assisi, and was published the following day on the Saint's Feast Day. The Catholic Church I went to growing up in Muskegon, Michigan was called St. Francis de Sales and is one of the strangest concrete structures I've ever seen. The Sunday experience in that brutalist architectural design made a lasting impression on me that I plan to discuss in coming episodes. Almost 20 years ago, I also had the pleasure of visiting the town of Assisi in Italy during a solo backpacking trip across Europe at the beginning of the US invasion of Iraq. After a day of exploration, I found a modest campsite at Fontamaggio Assisi, not far from the town center, ate a delicious pasta meal with some local red wine and I still remember that night, sleeping on the side of a mountain on a clear evening, looking up at the sky and thinking about the deeper questions of our life. So with an interest in getting back to my roots tonight, I'll read the intro in chapter one of Fratelli Tutti. Fratelli Tutti. With these words, St. Francis of Assisi addressed his brothers and sisters and proposed to them a way of life marked by the flavor of the gospel. Of the counsels of Francis offered, I would like to select the one in which he calls for a love that transcends the barriers of geography and distance and declares blessed all those who love their brother as much when he is far away from him as when he is with him. In his simple and direct way, St. Francis expressed the essence of a fraternal openness that allows us to acknowledge, appreciate, and love each other, each person, regardless of physical proximity, regardless of where he or she was born or lives. This saint of fraternal love, simplicity, and joy, who inspired me to write the encyclical Laudato Si, prompts me once more to devote this new encyclical to fraternity and social friendship. Francis felt himself a brother to the sun, the sea, and the wind, yet he knew that he was even closer to those of his own flesh. Wherever he went, he sowed seeds of peace and walked alongside the poor, the abandoned, the infirm, and the outcast, the least of his brothers and sisters. Without borders. Number three. There's an episode in the life of St. Francis that shows his openness of heart, which he knew no bounds and transcended differences of origin, nationality, color, or religion. It was his visit to Sultan Malik el Kamil in Egypt, which entailed considerable hardship given Francis's poverty, his scarce resources, the great distances to be traveled and their differences of language, culture, and religion. That journey undertaken at the time of the Crusades further demonstrated the breadth and grandeur of his love 
which sought to embrace everyone. Francis's fidelity to his Lord was commensurate with his love for his brothers and sisters. Unconcerned for the hardships and dangers involved, Francis went to meet the Sultan with the same attitude that he instilled in his disciples. They found themselves among the Saccharins or the Sar Saracens and other non-believers without renouncing their own identity. They were not to engage in arguments or disputes, but to be subject to every human and creature for God's sake. In the context of the times, this was an extraordinary recommendation. We are impressed that some 800 years ago, St. Francis urged that all forms of hostility or conflict be avoided and that a humble and fraternal subjection be shown to those who did not share his faith. Francis did not wage a war of words aimed at imposing doctrines. He simply spread the love of God. He understood that God is love and those who abide in love abide in God. In this way, he became a father to all, inspired the vision of a fraternal society. Indeed, only the man who approaches others not to draw them into his own life, but to help them to become ever more full, fully themselves can truly be called a father. In the world of that time, bristling with watchtowers and defensive walls, cities were a theater of brutal wars between powerful families, even as poverty was spreading through the countryside. Yet there Francis was able to welcome true peace into his heart and free himself of the desire to wield power over others. He became one of the poor and sought to live in harmony with all. Francis was inspired. Francis has inspired these pages. Number five, issues of human fraternity and social friendship have always been a concern of mine. In recent years, I've spoken of them repeatedly and in different settings. In this encyclical, I've sought to bring together many of those statements and to situate them in a broader context of reflection. In the preparation of Laudato Si, I had a source of inspiration in my brother Bartholomew, the Orthodox patriarch, who has spoken forcefully of our need to care for creation. In this case, I have felt particularly encouraged by the Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayyib, with whom I met in Abu Dhabi, where we declared that God has created all human beings equal in rights, duties, and dignity, and has called them to live together as brothers and sisters. This was no mere diplomatic gesture, but a reflection born of dialogue and common commitment. The present encyclical takes up and develops some of the great themes raised in the document that we both signed. I have also incorporated along with my own thoughts, a number of letters, documents, and considerations that I've received from many individuals and groups throughout the world. Six, the following pages do not claim to offer a complete teaching on fraternal love, but rather to consider its universal scope, its openness to every man and woman. I, I, I offer this social encyclical as a modest contribution to continued reflection in the hope that in the face of present day attempts to eliminate or ignore others, we may prove capable of responding with a new vision of fraternity and social friendship that will not remain at the level of words. Although I've written it from the Christian convictions that inspire and sustain me, I've sought to make this reflection an invitation to dialogue among all people of goodwill. Seven. As I was writing this letter, the COVID-19 pandemic unexpectedly erupted, exposing our false securities. Aside from the different ways that various countries responded to the crisis, 
their inability to work together became quite evident. For all our hyper-connectivity, we witnessed a fragmentation that made it more difficult to resolve problems that affect us all. Anyone who thinks that the lesson, the only lesson to be learned was the need to improve what we were already doing or to refine existing systems and regulations is denying reality. Eight. <clears throat> it is my desire that in this, our time, by acknowledging the dignity of each human person, we can contribute to the rebirth of a universal aspiration to fraternity. Fraternity between all men and women. Here we have a splendid secret that shows us how to dream and to turn our life into a wonderful adventure. No one can face life in isolation. We need a community that supports and helps us in which we can help one another to keep looking ahead. How important is it to dream together? By ourselves, we risk seeing mirages, things that are not there. Dreams, on the other hand, are built together. Let us dream then as a single human family, as fellow travelers sharing the same flesh, as children of the same earth, which is our common home, each of us bringing the richness of his or her beliefs and convictions, each of us with his or her own voice, brothers and sisters, all. Chapter one, dark clouds over a closed world. Nine, without claiming to carry out an exhaustive analysis or to study every aspect of our present day experience, I intend simply to consider certain trends in our world that hinder the development of universal fraternity. Shattered dreams. 10. For decades, it seemed that the world had learned a lesson from its many wars and disasters and was slowly moving towards various forms of integration. For example, there was the dream of a united Europe capable of acknowledging its shared roots and rejoicing in its rich diversity. We think of the firm conviction of the founders of the European Union who envisioned a future based on the capacity to work together in bridging divisions and in fostering peace and fellowship between all the peoples of this continent. There was also a growing desire for integration in Latin America and several steps were taken in this direction. In some countries and regions, attempts at reconciliation and reproachment proved fruitful while others showed great promise. 11. Our own days, however, seem to be showing signs of a certain regression. Ancient conflicts thought long buried are breaking out anew, while instances of a myopic, extremist, resentful, and aggressive nationalism are on the rise. In some countries, the concept of popular and national unity, influenced by various ideologies, is creating new forms of selfishness and a loss of the social sense under the guise of defending national interests. Once more, we are being reminded that each new generation must take up the struggles and attainments of past generations while setting its sights even higher. This is the path. Goodness together with love, justice, and solidarity are not achieved once and for all. They have to be realized each day. It is not possible to settle for what was achieved in the past and complacently enjoy it as if we could somehow disregard the fact that many of our brothers and sisters still endure situations that cry out for our attention. 12. 
Opening up to the world is an expression that has been co-opted by the economic and financial sector and is now used exclusively of openness to foreign interests or to the freedom of economic powers to invest without obstacles or complications in all countries. Local conflicts and disregard for the common good are exploited by the global economy in order to impose a single cultural model. This culture unifies the world but divides persons and nations for quote, as society becomes ever more globalized, it makes us neighbors, but does not make us brothers, unquote. We are more alone than ever in an increasingly massified world that promotes individual interests and weakens the communitarian dimensions of life. Indeed, there are markets where individuals become mere consumers or bystanders. As a rule, the advance of this kind of globalism strengthens the identity of the more powerful who can protect themselves, but it tends to diminish the identity of the weaker and poorer regions, making them more vulnerable and dependent. In this way, political life becomes increasingly fragile in the face of transnational economic powers that operate with the principle of divide and conquer. <clears throat> the end of historical consciousness. 13, as a, as a result, there is a growing loss of the sense of history, which leads to even further breakup, a kind of deconstructionism whereby human freedom claims to create everything starting from zero. It's making headway in today's culture. The one thing it leaves in its wake is a drive to limitless consumption and expressions of empty individualism. Concern about this led me to offer the young some advice. If someone tells young people to ignore their history, to reject the experiences of their elders, to look down on the past, and to look forward to a future that he himself, hold out, he himself holds out, doesn't it then become easy to draw them along so that they only do what he tells them? He needs the young to be shallow, uprooted, and distrustful so that they can trust only in his promises and act according to his plans. That is how various ideologies operate. They destroy or deconstruct all differences so that they can reign unopposed. To do so, however, they need young people who have no use for history, who spurn the spiritual and human riches inherited from past generations and are ignorant of everything that came before them. These are the new forms of cultural colonialization. These are the new forms of cultural colonialization. Let us not forget that peoples that abandon their tradition and either from a craze to mimic others or to foment violence or from unpardonable negligence or apathy allow others to rob their very soul, end up losing not only their spiritual identity but also their moral consistency, and in the end, their intellectual, economic, and political independence. One effective way to weaken historical consciousness, critical thinking, the struggle for justice, and the processes of integration is to empty great words of their meaning or to manip manipulate them. Nowadays, what do certain words like democracy, freedom, justice, or unity really mean? They have been bent and shaped to serve as tools for domination, 
as meaningless tags that can be used to justify any action. Lacking a plan for everyone. 15. The best way to dominate and gain control over people is to spread despair and discouragement, even under the guise of defending certain values. Today, in many countries, hyperbole, extremism, and polarization have become political tools. Employing a strategy of ridicule, ridicule and suspicion and relentless criticism in a variety of ways, one denies the right of others to exist or to have an opinion. Their share of the truth and their values are rejected and as a result, the life of society is impoverished and subjected to the hubris of the powerful. Political life no longer has to do with healthy debates about long-term plans to improve people's lives and to advance the common good, but only with slick marketing techniques primarily aimed at discrediting others. In this craven exchange of charges and countercharges, debate degenerates into a permanent state of disagreement and confrontation. 16. Amid the fray of conflicting interests where victory consists in eliminating one's opponents, how is it possible to raise our sights to recognize our neighbors or to help those who have fallen along the way? A plan that would set great goals for the development of our entire human family nowadays sounds like madness. We are growing ever more distant from one another while the slow and demanding march towards an increasingly united and just world is suffering a new and dramatic setback. 17. To care for the world in which we live means to care for ourselves. Yet we need to think of ourselves more and more as a single family dwelling in a common home. Such care does not interest those economic powers that demand quick profits. Often the voices raised in defense of the environment are silenced or ridiculed, using apparently reasonable arguments that are merely a screen for special interests. In this shallow, short-sighted culture that we have created, bereft of a shared vision, it is foreseeable that once certain resources have been depleted, the scene will be set for new wars, albeit under the guise of noble claims. A throwaway world. 18. Some parts of our human family, it appears, can be readily sacrificed for the sake of others considered worthy of a carefree existence. Ultimately, persons who are no longer seen as paramount who are no longer seen as paramount value to be cared for and respected, especially when they are poor and disabled, quote, not yet useful, like the unborn or no longer needed, like the elderly. We have grown indifferent to all kinds of wastefulness, starting with the waste of food, which is deplorable in the extreme. Decline in the birth rate, which leads to the aging of the population, together with the relegation of the elderly to a sad and lonely existence, is a subtle way of stating that it is all about us and that our individual concerns are the only things that matters. In this way, what is thrown away are not only food and dispensable objects, but often human beings themselves. We have seen what happened with the elderly in certain places in our world as a result of the coronavirus. They did not have to die that way. Yet something similar had long been occurring during heat waves and in other situations. Older people found themselves cruelly abandoned. We fail to realize that by isolating the elderly and leaving them in the care of others without the closeness and concern of family members, we disfigure and impoverish the family itself. We also end up depriving young people of a necessary connection to their roots and a wisdom that the young cannot achieve on their own. 20. 
This way of discarding others can take a variety of forms such as an obsession with reducing labor costs with no concern for its grave consequences. Since the unemployment that it directly generates leads to the expansion of poverty. In addition to, in addition, a readiness to discard others finds expression in vicious attitudes that we thought long past such as racism, which retreats underground only to keep reemerging. Instances of racism continue to shame us for they show that our supposed social progress is not as real or definitive as we like to think. Some economic rules have proved effective for growth, but not for integral human development. Wealth has increased, but together with inequality, with the result that new forms of poverty are emerging. The claim that the modern world has reduced poverty is made by measuring poverty with a criteria, criteria that from the past that do not correspond to present day realities. In other times, for example, lack of access to electric energy was not considered a sign of poverty, nor was it a source of hardship. Poverty must always be understood engaged in the context of the actual opportunities available in each concrete historical period. <coughs> Insufficiently universal human rights. 22. It frequently, be, frequently becomes clear that in practice, human rights are not equal for all. Respect for those rights is the preliminary condition for a country's social and economic development. When the dignity of the human person is respected and his or her rights recognized and guaranteed, creativity and interdependence thrive and the creativity of the human personality is released through actions that further the common good. Yet by closing observing our contemporary, yet by closing, yet by closely observing our contemporary societies, we see numerous contradictions that lead us to wonder whether the equal dignity of all human beings solemnly proclaimed 70 years ago is truly recognized, respected, protected, and promoted in every situation. In today's world, many forms of injustice persist, fed by reductive anthropological visions and by a profit-based economic model that does not hesitate to exploit, discard, and even kill human beings. While one part of humanity lives in opulence, another part sees its own dignity denied, scorned, or trampled upon and its fundamental rights discarded or violated. What does this tell us about the equality of rights grounded in innate human dignity? 23. Similarly, the organization of societies worldwide is still far from reflecting clearly that women possess the same dignity and identical rights as men. We say one thing with words, but our decisions and reality tell another story. Indeed, doubly poor are those women who endure situations of exclusion, mistreatment, and violence, since they are frequently less able to defend their rights. 24. We should also recognize that even though the international community has adopted numerous agreements aimed at ending slavery in all its forms, and has launched various strategies to combat this phenomenon, Millions of people today, children, women, and men of all ages are deprived of freedom and forced to live in conditions akin to slavery. Today, as in the past, slavery is rooted in a notion of the human person that allows him or her to be treated as an object, whether by coercion or deception, or by physical or psychological duress. Human persons created in the image and likeness of God are deprived of their freedom, sold and reduced to being the property of others. They are treated as means to an end. Criminal networks 
are skilled in using modern means of communication as a way of luring young men and women in various parts of the world. A perversion that exceeds all limits when it subjugates women and then forces them to abort. An abomination that goes to the length of kidnapping persons for the sake of selling their organs. Trafficking in persons and other contemporary forms of enslavement are a worldwide problem that needs to be taken seriously by humanity as a whole. Since criminal organizations employ global networks to achieve their goals, efforts to eliminate this phenomenon also demand a common and indeed a global effort on the part of various sectors of society. Conflict and fear. 25. War, terrorist attacks, racial or religious persecution, and many other, other affronts to human dignity are judged differently depending on how convenient it is. It proves for certain primary, primarily economic interests. What is true as long as it is convenient for someone in power stops being true once it becomes inconvenient. These situations of violence, sad to say, have become so common as to constitute a real third world war fought piecemeal. 26. This should not be surprising if we realize that we no longer have common horizons that unite us. Indeed, the first victim of every war is a human family's innate vocation to fraternity. As a result, every threatening situation breeds mistrust and leads people to withdraw into their own safety zone. Our world is trapped in a strange contradiction. We believe that we can ensure stability and peace through a false sense of security sustained by a mentality of fear and mistrust. 27. Paradoxically, we have certain ancestral fears that technological development has not succeeded in eliminating. Indeed, those fears have been able to hide and spread behind new technologies. Today too, outside the ancient town walls lies the abyss, the territory of the unknown, the wilderness. Whatever comes from there cannot be trusted for it is unknown, unfamiliar, not part of the village. It is the territory of the barbarian from whom we must defend ourselves at all costs. As a result, new walls are erected for self-preservation. The outside world ceases to exist and leaves only my world to the point that others no longer considered human beings possessed of an inalienable dignity become only them. Once more, we encounter the temptation to build a culture of walls, to raise walls, walls in the heart, walls on the land, in order to prevent this encounter with other cultures, with other people. And those who raise walls will end up as slaves within the very walls they have built. They're left without horizons for they lack this interchange with others. 28. The loneliness, fear, and insecurity experienced by those who feel abandoned by the system creates a fertile terrain for various mafias. These flourish because they claim to be defenders of the forgotten, often by providing various forms of assistance, even as they pursue their criminal interests. There also exists a typically mafioso pedagogy that by appealing to a false communitarian mystique creates bonds of dependence and fealty from which it is very difficult to break free. Globalization and progress without a shared roadmap. 29. With the grand imam Ahmed al-Tayeb 
We do not ignore the positive advances made in the areas of science, technology, medicine, industry, and welfare, above all in developed countries. Nonetheless, we wish to emphasize that together with these historical advances, great and valued as they are, there exists a moral deterioration that influences international action and a weakening of spiritual values and responsibility. This contributes to a general feeling of frustration, isolation, and desperation. We see outbreaks of tension and a buildup of arms and ammunition in a global context dominated by uncertainty, disillusionment, fear of the future, and controlled by narrow economic interests. We can also point to a major political crisis, situations of injustice and the lack of an equitable distribution of natural resources. In the face of such crises, crises that result in the deaths of millions of children emaciated from poverty and hunger, there is an unacceptable silence on the international level. This panorama for all its undeniable advances does not appear to lead to a more humane future. 30. In today's world, the sense of belonging to a single human family is fading and the dream of working together for justice and peace seems an outdated utopia. What reigns instead is a cool, comfortable, and globalized indifference, born of deep disillusionment concealed behind a deceptive illusion, thinking that we are all powerful while failing to realize that we are all in the same boat. This illusion, unmindful of the great fraternal values, leads to a sort of cynicism, for that is the temptation we face. We go down the road of disenchantment and disappointment. Isolation and withdrawal into one's own interests are never the way to restore hope and bring about renewal. Rather, it is closeness. It is a culture of encounter. Isolation, no. Closeness, yes. Closeness, yes. Culture, let me start that over. Rather, it is closeness. It is the culture of encounter. Isolation, no. Closeness, yes. Culture class, no. Culture of encounter, yes. I'm getting tired, and this is the first time I'm reading this. 31. In this world that races ahead yet lacks a shared roadmap, we increasingly sense that the gap between concern for one's personal well-being and the prosperity of the larger human family seems to be stretching to the point of complete division between individuals and human community. It is one thing to feel forced to live together, but something entirely different to value the richness and beauty of those seeds of common life that need to be sought out and cultivated. Technology is constantly advancing, yet how wonderful it would be if the growth of scientific and technological innovation could come with more equality and social inclusion. How wonderful would it be, even as we discover faraway planets, to rediscover the needs of the brothers and sisters who orbit around us. Pandemics and other calamities in history, 32. True, a worldwide tragedy like the COVID-19 pandemic momentarily revived the sense that we are a global community, all in the same boat, where one person's problems are the problems of all. Once more, we realize that no one is saved alone. We can only be saved together. As I said in those days, the storm has exposed our vulnerability and uncovered those false and superfluous certainties around which we constructed our daily schedules, our projects, our habits and priorities. Amid this storm, the facade of those stereotypes with which we camouflaged our egos 
always worrying about appearances, has fallen away, revealing once more the ineluctable and blessed awareness that we are part of one another, that we are brothers and sisters of one another. 33. The world was relentlessly moving towards an economy that, thanks to technological progress, sought to reduce human costs. There were those who would have had us believe that freedom of the market was sufficient to keep everything secure. Yet the brutal and unforeseen blow of this uncontrolled pandemic forced us to recover our concern for human beings, for everyone, rather than for the benefit of a few. Today, we can recognize that we fed ourselves on dreams of splendor and grandeur and ended up consuming distraction, insularity, and solitude. We gorged ourselves ourselves on networking and lost the taste of fraternity. We looked for quick and safe results only to find ourselves overwhelmed by impatience and anxiety. Prisoners of a virtual reality, we lost the taste and flavor of the truly real. The pain, uncertainty, and fear, and the realization of our own limitations brought on by the pandemic have only made it all the more urgent that we rethink our styles of life, our relationships, the organization of our societies, and above all, the meaning of our existence. If everything is connected, it is hard to imagine that this global disaster is unrelated to our way of approaching reality, our claim to be absolute masters of our own lives and of all that exists. I do not want to speak of divine retribution, nor would it be sufficient to say that the harm we do to nature is itself the punishment for our offenses. The world is itself crying out in rebellion. We are reminded of the well-known verse of the poet Virgil that evokes the tears of things, the misfortunes of life and history. 35. All too quickly, however, we forget the lessons of history, the teacher of life. Once this health crisis passes, our worst response would be to plunge even more deeply into feverish consumerism and new forms of egotistic self-preservation. God willing, after all this, we will think no longer in terms of them and those, but only of us. If only this may prove not to be just another tragedy of history from which we learn nothing. If only we might keep in mind all those elderly persons who died for lack of respirators, partly as a result of the dismantling year after year of healthcare systems. If only this immense sorrow may not prove useless, but enable us to take a step forward towards a new style of life. If only we might discover once for all that we need one another and that in this way our human family can experience rebirth with all its faces, all its hands, and all its voices beyond the walls that we have erected. 36. Unless we recover the shared passion to create a community of belonging and solidarity worthy of our time, our energy, and our resources, the global illusion that misled us will collapse and leave many in the grip of anguish and emptiness. Nor should we naively refuse to recognize that obsession with a consumerist lifestyle, above all when few people are capable of maintaining it, can only lead to violence and mutual destruction. The notion of every man for himself will rapidly degenerate into a free-for-all that would prove worse than any pandemic. An absence of human dignity on the borders. 37. Certain populist political regimes, as well as certain liberal economic approaches, maintain that an influx of migrants is to be prevented at all costs. Arguments are also made for the propriety of limiting aid to poor countries so that they can hit rock bottom and find themselves forced to take austerity measures. 
one fails to realize that behind such statements, abstract and hard to support, great numbers of lives are at stake. Many migrants have fled from war, persecution, and natural catastrophes. Others, rightly, are seeking opportunities for themselves and their families. They dream of a better future and they want to create the conditions for achieving it. 38. Sadly, some are attracted by Western culture, sometimes with unrealistic expectations that expose them to grave disappointments. Unscrupulous traffickers frequently linked to drug cartels or arms cartels exploit the weakness of migrants who too often experience violence, trafficking, psychological and physical abuse, and untold sufferings on their journey. Those who emigrate experience separation from their place of origin and often a cultural and religious uprooting as well. Fragmentation is also felt by the communities they leave behind, which lose their most vigorous and enterprising elements, and by families, especially when one or both of the parents migrates, leaving the children in the country of origin. For this reason, there's also a need to reaffirm the right not to emigrate, that is, to remain in one's homeland. 39. Then too, in some host countries, migration causes fear and alarm, often fomented and exploited for political purposes. This can lead to a xenophobic mentality as people close on themselves and it needs to be addressed decisively. Migrants are not, migrants are not seen as entitled like others to participate in the life of society and it is forgotten that they possess the same intrinsic, intrinsic dignity as any person. Hence, they ought to be agents in their own redemption. No one will ever openly deny that they are human beings, yet in practice, by our decisions and the way we treat them, we can show that we consider them less worthy, less important, less human. For Christians, this way of thinking and acting is unacceptable since it sets certain political preferences above deep convictions of our faith, the inalienable dignity of each human person, regardless of origin, race, or religion, and the supreme law of fraternal love. 40. Migrations, more than ever before, will play a pivotal role in the future of our world. At present, however, migration is affected by the loss of that sense of responsibility for our brothers and sisters on which every civil society is based. Europe, for example, seriously risked taking, risks taking this path. Nonetheless, aided by its great cultural and religious heritage, it has the means to defend the centrality of the human person to find the right balance between its twofold moral responsibility, to protect the rights of its citizens and to assure assistance and acceptance to migrants. 41. I realize that some people are hesitant and fearful with regards, regard to migrants. I consider this part of our natural instinct of self-defense. It is also true that an individual and a people are only fruitful and productive if they're able to develop a creative openness to others. I ask everyone to move beyond those primal reactions because there is a problem when doubts and fears condition our way of thinking and acting to the point of making us intolerant, closed and perhaps even without realizing it, racist. In this way, fear deprives us of the desire and the ability to encounter the other. The illusion of communication. Oddly enough, while closed and intolerant attitudes towards others are on the rise, distances are otherwise shrinking or disappearing to the point that the right to privacy scarcely exists. 
everything has become a kind of spectacle to be examined and inspected. And people's lives are now under constant surveillance. Digital communication wants to bring everything out into the open. People's lives are combed over, laid bare, and bandied about, often anonymously. Respect for others disintegrates. And even as we dismiss, ignore, or keep others distant, we can shamelessly peer into every detail of their lives. 43. Digital campaigns of hatred and destruction, for their part, are not, as some would have us believe, a positive form of mutual support, but simply an association of individuals united against the perceived common enemy. Digital media can also expose people to the risk of addiction, isolation, and a gradual loss of contact with concrete reality. Blocking the development of authentic interpersonal relationships, they lack the physical gestures, facial expression, moments of silence, body language, and even the smells, the trembling of hands, the blushes and perspiration that speak to us and are part of human communication. Digital relationships, which do not demand the slow and gradual cultivation of friendships, stable interaction, or the building of consensus that matures over time, have the appearance, appearance of sociability. Yet they do not really build community. Instead, they tend to disguise and expand the very individualism that finds expression, expression in xenophobia and in contempt for the vulnerable. Digital connectivity is not enough to build bridges. It is not capable of uniting humanity. Shameless aggression, 44. Even as individuals maintain their comfortable consumerist isolation, they can choose a form of constant and febrile bonding that encourages remarkable hostility, insults, abuse, defamation, and verbal violence destructive of others, and this with a lack of restraint that could not exist in physical contact without tearing us all apart. Social aggression has found unparalleled room for expansion through computers and mobile devices. 45. This is now giving, given, <clears throat> this is now given free reign to ideologies. Things that until a few years ago could not be said by anyone without risking the loss of universal respect can now be said with impunity and in the crudest and in the crudest terms, even by some political figures. Nor should we forget that there are huge economic interests operating in the digital world, capable of exercising forms of control as subtle as they are invasive, creating mechanisms for the manipulation of conscience, consciences and of the democratic process. The way many platforms work often ends up favoring encounter between persons who think alike, shielding them from debate. These closed circuits facilitate the spread of fake news and false information, fomenting prejudice and hate. 46. We should also recognize that destructive forms of fanaticism are at times found among religious believers, including Christians. They too can be caught up in networks of verbal violence through the internet and the various forms of digital communication. Even in Catholic media, limits can be overstepped, defamation and slander can become commonplace, and all ethical standards and respect for the good name of others can be abandoned. How can this contribute to the fraternity that our common father asks of us? Information without wisdom. 47, true wisdom demands an encounter with reality. Today, however, everything can be created, disguised, and altered. 
A direct encounter, even with the fringes of reality, can thus prove intolerable. A mechanism of selection then comes into play, whereby I can immediately separate likes from dislikes, what I consider attractive from what I deem distasteful. In the same way, we can choose the people with whom we wish to share our world. Persons or situations we find unpleasant or disagreeable are simply deleted in today's virtual networks. A virtual circle is then created, isolating us from the real world in which we are living. 48. The ability to sit down and listen to others, typical of interpersonal encounters, is paradigmatic of the welcoming attitude shown by those who transcend narcissism and accept others, caring for them and welcoming them into their lives. <coughs> Yet today's world is largely a deaf world. At times, the frantic pace of the modern world prevents us from listening attentively to what another person is saying, halfway saying. Halfway through, we interrupt him and want to contradict what he has not even finished saying. We must not lose our ability to listen. St. Francis heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of the poor. He heard the voice of the infirm, and he heard the voice of nature. He made of them a way of life. My desire is that the seed that St. Francis planted may grow in the hearts of many. 49. As silence and careful listening disappear, replaced by a frenzy of texting, this basic structure of sage human communication is at risk. A new lifestyle is emerging where we create only what we want and exclude all that we cannot control or know instantly and superficially. This process by its intrinsic logic blocks the kind of serene reflection that could lead us to a shared wisdom. 50. Together we can seek the truth in dialogue in relaxed conversation or in passionate debate. To do so calls for perseverance. It entails moments of silence and suffering, yet it can patiently embrace the broader experience of individuals and peoples. The flood of information at our fingertips does not make for greater wisdom. Wisdom is not born, born of quick searches on the internet, nor it is a mass of unverified data. That is not the way to mature in the encounter with truth. Conversations revolve only around the latest data. They become merely horizontal and cumulative. We fail to keep our attention focused, to penetrate to the heart of matters, and to recognize what is essential to give meaning to our lives. Freedom thus becomes an illusion that we are peddled, easily confused with the ability to navigate the internet. The process of building fraternity, be it local or universal, can only be undertaken by spirits that are free and open to authentic encounters. Forms of subjection and self-contempt, 51. Certain economically prosperous countries tend to be proposed as cultural models for less developed countries. Instead, each of those countries should be helped to grow in its own distinct way and to develop its capacity for innovation while respecting the values of its proper culture. A shallow and pathetic desire to imitate others leads to copying and consuming in place of creating and fosters low national self-esteem. In the affluent sectors of many poor countries and at times in those who have recently emerged from poverty, there is a resistance to native ways of thinking and acting and a tendency to look beyond, look down on one's own cultural identity as if it were the sole cause of every ill. Destroying self 52. 
Destroying self-esteem is an easy way to dominate others. Behind these trends that tend to level our world, there flourish powerful interests that take advantage of such low self-esteem while attempting through the media networks to create a new culture in the service of the elite. This plays into the opportunism of financial speculators and raiders, and the poor always end up the losers. Then too, ignoring the culture of their people has led to the inability of many political leaders to devise an effective development plan that could be freely accepted and sustained over time. 53. We forget that there is no worse form of alienation than to feel uprooted, belonging to no one. A land will be fruitful and its people bear fruit and give birth to the future only to the extent that it can foster a sense of belonging among its members, create bonds of integration between generations and different communities and avoid all that makes us insensitive to others and leads to further alienation. Hope. 54. Despite these dark clouds, which may not be ignored, I would like in the following pages to take up and discuss many new paths of hope. For God continues to sow abundant seeds of goodness in our human family. The recent pandemic enabled us to recognize and appreciate once more all those around us who, in the midst of fear, responded by putting their lives on the line. We began to realize that our lives are interwoven with and sustained by ordinary people, valiantly shaping the decisive events of our shared history. Doctors, nurses, pharmacists, storekeepers, and supermarket workers, cleaning personnel, caretakers, transport workers, men and women working to provide essential services and public safety, volunteers, priests, and religious. They understood that no one is saved alone. <clears throat> 55. I invite everyone to renewed hope, for hope speaks to us of something deeply rooted in every human heart, independently of our, of our circumstances and historical conditioning. Hope speaks to us of a thirst, an aspiration, a longing for a life fulfillment, a desire to achieve great things, things that fill our heart and lift our spirit to lofty realities like truth, goodness, and beauty, justice, and love. Hope is bold. It can look beyond personal convenience, the petty securities and compensations which limit our horizon and it can open us up to grand ideals that might make life more beautiful and worthwhile. Let us continue then to advance along the paths of hope. Mm -hmm.